So we're in Midtown Manhattan. Um, we are about an hour and a half away from starting our eighth episode for Men in the Arena, um, which is the documentary series we're producing for ESPN+. Plus. Okay, so that's me in the spring of 2021. I was in New York, as you heard, and I was getting ready to shoot an interview with Tom Brady for the Man in the Arena docuseries. Now, this podcast is a companion to that show. And in this episode, we're going to start with something a little different. I'm going to give you a glimpse behind the scenes to show a bit of how Tom and I told his story. Because this episode is about how we all try to tell our own stories in a way that comes off as authentic. And on that day, the story starts with me waiting. There's always waiting with Tom. Tom's funny. I mean, actually, that we actually have a start time is pretty remarkable because, you know, those who've worked with Tom or are friendly with Tom uh, know the deal, which is, cool, babe, let's connect later. Cool, babe, let's check in later. Cool, babe, let's check in tomorrow morning. So there's always a check-in, check-in, check-in. Yeah. Tom calls pretty much everyone he's close to babe. There's definitely a lot of babe. So <laughs> the same way like people, dude or bro or pal or whatever, Tom for some reason does babe, which at the beginning when he would text me, be like, hey, babe, I'll be there in 20 minutes. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird, but I've gotten used to it. In fact, I've gotten so used to it. I think I do it to other people. Eventually, Tom showed up. What's up, guys? What's up, How you doing? Good, man. Good, Good to see on. you. Good to see you. Good back. How's everything? Good, man. Real good. Okay. Where do you guys want me? He sat down in the chair under the lights in front of a white background. Behind the camera. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, let's just jump right into it. So, look, you've had... And we talked about Tom's eighth Super Bowl appearance, the one that he and the Pats ended up losing to the Eagles. But, and this may seem like a weird question... Why is Tom doing this? Why is he agreeing to go in front of a camera and tell his story to me and to everyone? Well, the answer is basically he gets to tell his own story in his own words. And this is something that Tom has been doing more and more of, whether it's a docuseries like this or even online. Yep, after being reluctant at first... Your babe, Tom Brady, is now kind of the master of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I mean, even TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. And for those who are most successful at telling their own stories in any platform, I think one of the keys is making people think that they're seeing the real you. The, and this word gets used all the time, the authentic you. Something that's a lot harder and more complicated than it sounds. I'm Gotham Chopra from Religion of Sports and ESPN Plus. This is Man in the Arena. A 10-part companion podcast to the docuseries of the same name, looking at Tom Brady through the eyes of players and coaches, fans and haters, people whose dreams he's either ruined or made come true, including me. Each episode looks at Tom's impact inside and outside the arena, using sports to explore bigger questions about the world and ourselves. Episode 8, Real Talk. 
We're in a world where pretty much all of us can share something of ourselves online, right? But is this online version of ourselves really true to life? And what do the differences between how we present ourselves and who we actually are show us about what is and isn't, here's this word again, authentic? Three, two, one, let's go! Those answers after a quick break. Back in 2002, when Tom won his first Super Bowl, the internet still felt kind of young. A lot of us were still on dial-up back then. And social media, it wasn't really a thing at all. This was even before Friendster launched. And I said that on purpose, because if you don't remember Friendster, well, yeah, that's the point. Put another way, TikTok was over a decade away. And now... Of course, Tom is all over TikTok and the rest of social media. You can see him making jokes or making smoothies, even working out. Okay, as crazy as it sounds, it's really not enough anymore to be just amazing on the field or the court. Professional athletes need to have social media game too. We want to see Tom on the field, but we also want to feel like we know Tom the real Tom. And getting to be in the guy's bathroom as he's brushing his teeth, something you can actually see on Tom's TikTok, those kinds of intimate behind-the-scenes moments, they make us feel like we're getting something private, authentic. But the sheer amount of work that goes into being a pro athlete, let alone a generational athlete like Tom, I mean, it doesn't leave much room for tweeting. So how did they do it? Tom himself works closely with Shadowline, which is a company of creators led by Gilad Haas. Shadowline also helps out tons of other major athletes and companies, including, full disclosure, mine, Religion of Sports. They tell stories that connect with audiences. Listen, I love Gilad, obviously. I mean, he works with us. But talking to him felt a little bit like a conflict of interest. I wanted to be objective. So we decided to talk to this other guy named Doug Sanders, who does something pretty similar. I'm Doug Sanders, the owner and founder of Sanders Sports and Entertainment. I've been in the sports industry for just over 14 years. Sanders has spent his career marketing and building brands for athletes and celebrities which has included, for the most part, managing social media accounts. He's worked with a ton of NFL players, including DeAndre Hopkins, Chad Johnson, and Terrell Owens. And if you're over the age of 40, you might be thinking to yourself, wait, it's someone's job to tweet and post pictures and videos and comments for other people? Well, the answer is yeah. And it's actually kind of a hard job. You need to be a little bit psychologist, a little bit hype man, a little bit savvy PR person. There is an art to crafting authenticity. And yeah, I get that that's kind of an oxymoron. When Sanders is starting to work with a new athlete, first, he really tries getting to know them. What are their likes? What are their dislikes? What are their interests? Where are they from? You know, it's so much more than who you are as a professional. Not everyone can be a freak athlete like LeBron. Not everyone can have hands like DeAndre Hopkins. But one thing we all can start to do is start to build that brand. 
by brand, what he means is public persona. Because look, most of us think of Nike or Starbucks or like The Gap. You know, those are brands. But for a famous person, their personality is their brand. And while Sanders tailors his approach for each athlete, there are a few tactics to building a successful brand that pretty much work across the board. One, do it yourself. I think that's at the really the core of branding, right? Is just it's all about authenticity. Um, so much so that I want them always using social on their own. While I'll make suggestions on ways they should probably lean in on certain aspects, but I want it to be their voice, their true, authentic self. Two, show, don't tell. This is what every editor has ever told me and what I now tell my team. It's one of those cliches that has its roots in the truth. And it goes for branding too. People really don't like to feel like they're being marketed to. Like if Tom was just telling me that I need some cool watch, I'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever, man. But if I see him wearing those watches in his everyday life, looking hip and cool and yeah, maybe then I want one. Plus, the average social media user's bullshit detectors are like too sharp. If you're trying to sell some stuff to your audience, they, they smell that. That's not really you. We don't, we don't want that. And that, then you lose that following. No one really is there for that. And if, it, if it's not authentic, it's going to be sniffed out quickly. And tactic number three, not hot takes, warm takes. One of the things that I tell my guys, and, and this, this may be a, a hot take. I mean, Sanders can have them, but not his clients. Leave the text group chat to the iPhone. Do not take that to Twitter. If there's a hot button issue and you like to talk about it and you want somebody to talk with, talk amongst your group. So let's leave it right there in your pocket with your text group. You got to avoid winding up on the wrong side of an issue. Even if it's your authentic self, Sanders says, be careful. But if you're good at social, the payoffs can be huge. You have the ability to reach billions of people. For example, one of Sanders' clients is Nick Young. Never heard of him? I'm not surprised. He's a basketball player who used to ride the bench for the Lakers and then the Warriors. And he's not even in the NBA anymore. But thanks to his presence online, Nick is famous overseas. We've been able to build his brand in China to where he's still one of the most followed athletes in China. I mean, we've been able to do live streams still to this day where we've gotten over 3 million hits. Of course, all this brand building and image crafting, it's not just to get athletes famous for fame's sake. Really, it's about this seismic change in the media landscape. It's about athletes taking ownership of their own stories. Take LeBron James. He has his own TV show called The Shop, where he basically gets to share his own story however he wants, while talking to pretty much whoever he wants. And social media can also be about leveling the playing field for athletes of all kinds to connect with the greater public. 
the changes that I've seen over the years are amazing because if you look back to, say, when I started in, in 2007, there were only certain guys that were getting up to a post-game press conference, right? Just for sake of example, football, you're only probably talking three guys. You're talking to the quarterback, probably the running back, and maybe maybe another skill position, like maybe a linebacker, right? But what about that lineman? What about the sixth man on the bench, right? He comes off and has a hot game, right? But oftentimes they were forgotten about. They were an afterthought and they were a little blurb at the bottom of the page or a little hit <laughs> in a radio interview. And now these guys can have their own podcast. And that level playing field it can make us feel like we really know these athletes and they're seeing sides of them we wouldn't otherwise. Like with Tom. It's like he's opened up his authentic self and letting you know who he is as a man. You know, Tom is a father. You see him now go out there and grab his son and give a hug to his son after the game. And he talks about it. And he talks about what it means to be a father, what it means to be a husband. And then beyond that, he's pretty funny. Like we saw him chuck the, you know, Lombardi trophy or, you know, get a little wasted during the championship parade. Who hasn't had a wasted day? You know what I mean? Like we're all human. And now you're starting to see the human side of Tom. We've all had one too many. So those of us whose lives are probably very, very different from Tom's, we get the feeling we may have more in common with him than we thought. Not everyone's going to be able to throw a football. And surely not win, what, seven Super Bowls? But we all can talk about what it means to go through a day. And maybe his routine is a little bit different. It's still Tom, right? But it's still relatable to so many more people than those seeing him as just an athlete. And to me, that's incredible because now you're you're touching um, so many people with who you truly are. But are you, though? Take a look at your own social media posts. Is that the real you? Be honest now. Like you're probably not staging photos or plagiarizing quotes, but you're showing a version of yourself. Maybe you're not lying, but you're not telling the whole unvarnished truth all the time. And Tom's the same. Thanks to Gilad and Shadowline, the company he works with on his social media, the version of Tom you see online is authentic in that it's stuff he authentically believes and feelings he authentically feels. And he is definitely funny. But for every moment we see from Tom of his kids being cute and getting along, look, I mean, there's others where like, get out of my face, give me some privacy, give me some space, I don't want to be on camera, we've all been there too, right? I mean, we generally don't share pictures of dirty diapers or other more private moments, right? Our online personas are curated. Does that mean they're inauthentic? And look, what is this word, authentic, authenticity? What does it mean anyway? That's after the break. What do we mean when we talk about authenticity? And why do we even care so much about this concept? To find out, we talked to Jennifer Salai. She's a book critic at the New York Times, who's written on the subject of authenticity. 
when we think of somebody who is authentic, it's somebody who doesn't seem like a phony, that they're too worried about self-presentation, you know, that they present their real self. And Salai says that what comes across as real are often attributes that go against some common social norms. And that real self can sometimes be awkward, can sometimes be aggressive, can be, you know, these qualities that I guess in the everyday sort of world of politeness and civility, we wouldn't necessarily take as, you know, virtues. But when it comes to authenticity, those are often the things that are prized. So when Tom shows us his dorky side, and the guy can be a dork, that can make us feel like it's the real him. Considering the rest of his presentation as, you know, incredibly good-looking, incredibly skilled, that if he does something that's, like, nerdy or awkward, that must be real, and therefore it makes him more of a real person. It's like there's some core true self that's covered up by manners and politeness and how we're expected to act. The thing is, the idea of what is and isn't authentic, I mean, it's changed over time. The French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau thought that authenticity was our innocent state in nature and that civilization corrupted us. But then you have, for instance, a thinker like Freud who thought that our real self, the authentic self, uh, was somebody who wanted to murder our fathers and sleep with our mothers. For Freud, civilization was a force for good, helping tame this problematic inner self so it wouldn't erupt in damaging ways. Whatever the true self is, it really seems to matter to us. And whether or not someone is perceived as authentic can have real effects. Salai actually started getting interested in this idea of authenticity during the 2016 election. For anybody who doesn't Remember, this was when Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were running against each other to be president. And I just remember finding it really fascinating the way that Trump very specifically was often portrayed as this extremely authentic candidate, somebody who was really real, especially when compared with Hillary Clinton, who was considered, you know, a bit too, um, her public persona was too curated. She was always worried about presenting herself in a certain way. At least this was how she was being portrayed in the media at the time. Why? Why do we care so much about who is and isn't authentic? It could be something kind of primal at work. You know, I do think that there is something to this idea that we're social creatures, you know, in order for us to interact with other people, we have to feel like we have at least some sense of who they are. And so I think in order to do that, we can get hung up on whether or not somebody is showing us their real authentic self. So look, maybe this made sense back in the days of, you know, can I let this person into my cave or are they going to eat me or whatever? But today... With people we're never even going to meet? I do think that the sort of fixation on what is authentic, especially when it comes to people that we don't actually know in our personal lives, I'm not sure how far that really gets us. I think it just leads us to conversations like we had in 2016, which is 
You know, is Hillary Clinton authentic? You know, she certainly seems less authentic than Trump. Like, I, I wasn't sure how helpful that actually was. Was that actually telling us something useful about how either person would govern? And the thing is, today everyone knows what comes across as authentic. It's like we can intuitively feel it, especially on social media. So we can kind of game the system. But at the same time, obviously, the more famous, uh, the more wealthy celebrity is, the more people that they can have around them to sort of tell them how to do things, tell them how to present themselves in such a way. And so it becomes this sort of illusion where we think that we know somebody, but really we're just sort of projecting onto them our own expectations, our own prejudices sometimes. It's not just celebrities, of course. It's all of us. Like that example of posting just the cute pictures of your kids, but not the ones where they're misbehaving or picking their nose. We know that's inauthentic. So some of us decide to post pictures that show the stuff that's usually off camera because that's authentic, right? You can go down the rabbit hole of authenticity, right? Which is like, what's more real? You know, this this sort of very selective presentation of my wonderful family life or the thing where I'm also going to show you a picture of my kid having a tantrum. But then when you post the picture of the kid having a tantrum, then it becomes, you know, a way of signaling to the people who are following you, oh, I am going to be really real with you. You know, all those other people pretend to be real with you, but I'm even more real. And I think that it just becomes this sort of, it's, it, it can become this endless loop of, of like authenticity Olympics. It's enough to make you wonder, is there really any such thing as authenticity? There is a tradition of thought which says, you know, this idea of trying to find a core self, it's a bit futile, like it doesn't really make sense. I sometimes do get to that point where I think, well, how much are we ever going to really be able to know? Because it is true that, you know, our sense of self changes, how we present ourselves in one situation will necessarily be different from how we present ourselves in another situation. So the idea that somebody will act the exact same way, no matter what their social context is, I think is just not true. On the other hand, though, it's kind of scary to think that there's nothing at our core, that we just change completely depending on the situation. You know, you do want to think that there are certain qualities that each of us has that are stable. Um, because the idea that somebody is just totally changing their self uh, in one context compared to another context is anxiety-provoking. For me, I think that if a true core authentic self does exist, you can see it in sports. So maybe if we want the real Tom Brady, and I'm not taking a swipe at Tom's social media, but we don't need to look online. Because I think the most real version of Tom is actually what you see on the field. And don't take my word for it. Tom has told me this himself. He feels most like himself on the football field, where he can display real, raw emotion. When I'm out in the field in front of 70,000 people, I can kind of do what I want. 
you know, I can really be who I am. I get to be me with my raw emotion and energy. And, you know, if I want to scream at somebody, I can scream at somebody. But you don't really ever see me do that anyplace else. On the field, Tom feels the most authentic. In so many ways, I can be myself out there on the field that in a lot of ways, I can't be myself if I don't feel protected. You know, if I'm around people I don't know, and I know that a conversation is going to go outside of the people that are I'm having the conversation with, I don't say much. And I think my way of protecting myself from that is to isolate myself, you know, because I'm protective of who I am and I don't trust a lot of people. So that's why probably I love football so much because it allows me to be who I am in a very authentic way that is hard for me to be you know, when I walk off the field. I think that's what we like the most about sports. We can see real shit happen on the field, on the court, in the ring. When Tom is yelling at the refs or jumping up and down and screaming in joy, that's the real unvarnished Tom Brady. He's not doing that for the gram. We ran this idea that sports can show our true authentic selves by Jennifer Salai. I hadn't really thought of it before, but like a lot of our ideas about authenticity and our anxiety about it, you know, it, it it's connected to, you know, images or language, like all this stuff that's like part of modern existence. But, you know, when it comes to sports, like, you know, uh, I was about to say performers, but they're not, they're players, right? They're, they're, they're doing and it's it is an interesting question of whether when somebody is just doing something um you know can are is the question of authenticity even relevant at that point they're just being they're just being who they are sports is not a performance it's a game but none of it is staged none of it is scripted doesn't even follow traditional storytelling conventions. The good guys don't always win. I mean, love them or hate them, the Patriots have definitely proven that, right? Even the Patriots-Eagles Super Bowl? Brady threw for like 500 yards. It was statistically the best he'd ever done in a Super Bowl. But somehow they didn't win. Definitely not a conventional narrative. Thanks, boys. We'll see you tomorrow. Good work. Sometimes you learn more from the losses than the wins. That's Tom back at the end of the interview we did about the Eagles Super Bowl. And that unpredictable, unscripted nature of sports, it also means that it can sometimes be challenging as a storyteller to find a narrative in that. One with a beginning, middle, and end. And one that means something. For me, I, I always want to, like, what's the takeaway? Like, what are we learning what's bigger than because again the goal has to be like not just for Patriots fans not just football fans you know why does this matter that's me trying to explain all that in real time because after the interview with Tom I'll be honest I'm going to be authentic with you I wasn't sure right away what the story would be like what what it really meant ultimately when you watch episode 8 of the docuseries you'll see that we figured it out we figured out the story and that the episode is about what Tom called the hardest year. 
Also, if you watch the episode, you know that Tom cut his hand pretty badly in practice. But what you don't know is that at one point during the playoffs, I think it was on the way to the AFC Championship, kind of because of that injury, the fate of the Patriots franchise was in my hands. Literally. Tom and I were in Massachusetts, driving to the playoff game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was only days after the injury. And Tom had this huge bandage over his thumb, and he was like trying to see if it was bleeding or whatever while we were driving. And he was holding it up to the light and looking at it. And then he was like, hey, G, can you like hold the steering wheel? And I did. And it was just the two of us in the car. And at the time, I remember thinking to myself as a Patriots fan, I really wanted to, you know, like get a selfie with him. Tom Brady, the GOAT. But then I had to remind myself that this was just a very authentic moment of friendship between the two of us. And you know what? Some things are better not shared on social media, after all. Next time... Football versus football. I mean soccer. Man in the Arena is a religion of sports production in partnership with ESPN+. I'm Gotham Chopra, the host and creator. Our senior producers are Isaac Kestenbaum and Josephine Holtzman of Future Projects. This episode was produced by Cody Nelson. Our story editor is Michael Garofalo. Executive producers are Amit Sankran and Adam Schlossman. Associate producers Iggy Monda and Megan Coyle. Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman. Additional fact-checking for this episode by Sophie Spencer-Zavos. This episode was mixed by Merritt Jacob. And for ESPN+, Brian Lockhart, Senior Vice President, Original Content and ESPN Films. Lindsay Ravenio, Executive Producer, ESPN Plus Originals. Tori Champagne, Producer, ESPN Plus Originals. Julia Lowry-Henderson, Senior Editorial Producer. Riley Bloom, Production Assistant. Lastly, special thanks to Jessica Popovac, Steve Nelson, Carly Peruccio, Composer Michael Kramer, PRX, and Row Home Productions. 